If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to just turn, we're going to get there in a moment, but turn to the book of Nehemiah, chapter 9. Today I want to talk to you about a good memory. A good memory. How many of you feel like your memory doesn't quite work as well as it used to? Now, I'll be, I'll, be, I'll be in big trouble if some teenagers lift their hands. Yeah. Your memory just doesn't work like it used to. Um, I'm finding that. In fact, I, I think I mentioned this, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago, maybe at the beginning of the month, uh, when the new bulletin came out. Uh, prior to that, about a week earlier, Candace had given something to me to put in the bulletin. She said, Pastor, can we put this in the bulletin? I said, oh, yes, Candace, please, but write it down so I'll remember it. And do you think that thing made it into the bulletin? Nah. The problem was is I forgot that I wrote it down and forgot that there was anything that was, that was there that was supposed to go in. So even when we write things down, we have to remember to go to where we wrote it down. Uh, you're in big trouble if you write something down and you forget where you put it. Uh, we all have had that experience. It's kind of like the, uh, there were some couples who had been friends for years and hadn't really had the opportunity to spend much time together. And so one evening they got together and, and uh, while they were, they were kind of taking a break from a, a card game, the wives went into the kitchen. And the men stayed in the den. And one of the men said, you know, Joe, you really played a great game of cards tonight. I, I usually have to remind you what cards have been played, but tonight I didn't have to. How come? He said, well, I went to memory school. His friend asked, really? What's the name of the school? And Joe thought for a minute and said, uh, uh, he said, uh, what do you call that flower that's red with thorns on the stem? His friend said, a rose. Joe said, yeah, that's it. He said, and he turned to the kitchen. He said, hey, Rose, what's the name of that memory school I went to? Some of us, our memory works like that. You know, it's, it's not just, you know, it's not just about the important things in life like the name of your wife. <laughs> but, you know, it's about some of the little things in life. But today I want to talk to you about a good memory. Tomorrow is Memorial Day. We know that, and it is a day where we honor those who are on the front lines and who have already given their lives for this great country of ours. We take the time to remember those who are in the Middle East, and they're in Iraq, they're in Afghanistan, they're now in Korea, there, there have always been troops in Korea since that war technically never ended. Uh, it just kind of came to a standstill and came to a truce between North and South Korea. And now it seems like after uh, nearly 50 years, things are heating up again uh, between those two nations. And so we have troops over there. We have troops stationed all around the world. And we take time to remember what it is, at least I hope we do, at least on some level. Most of us, we say, well, it's a day off, a uh, day to barbecue. And, you know, that's really what Memorial Day has become for many of us. But it is a significant, significant day if you are a citizen of this country and you love this country as I do uh, and you appreciate the freedom that we have here. 
it is an important day, but beyond Memorial Day, there are many different times in the Bible that the Bible speaks about memory, or it speaks about remembering things and remembering what it is that God has done for each and every one of us. A lot of those occasions, though, God is speaking to his people as though they had forgotten. And many times that is the word that is used. It is they did not remember or they had forgotten the Lord. They'd forgotten what what God had done for them. And many times we do the same. Even this morning, I dare say that many of you, when you walked into the building, you might have come in with a sense of, you know, what, what really has God done for me lately? And unfortunately, we get into the mindset of, you know, we're, we're such an instant society that if God doesn't do anything for us in that specific moment, then we forget what God has done. I want to talk to you today about what a good memory will do for you. What a good memory will do for you. I think one of the most important things that we find in Scripture is that a good memory, not just a good memory about little things in life, but a good memory of what God has done in and through our lives is this. It will deter from sin. A good memory will deter you from sin. Listen to what the Bible says. You're in Nehemiah chapter 9. Let's look at, down at verse 17. The Bible says this, and this was a moment where all of Israel, after they had come back from Babylonian captivity, Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah is about their return from Babylonian captivity and their, their building of the walls around Jerusalem, their, their reconstruction of the walls. And the, the people take time to begin to confess their sins. Listen to what the Bible says about their forefathers and the time that led up to the captivity. The Bible says in verse 17, it says, They refused to listen and failed to remember the miracles you performed among them. They became stiff-necked and in the rebellion appointed a leader in order to return to their slavery. But you are a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. But I want, to, I want you to see the first part of this verse says, they refused to listen and failed to remember. This verse seems to indicate that if Israel had remembered what God had done for them, they wouldn't have allowed their hearts to turn away from God in rebellion. Brothers and sisters, when we keep fresh in our hearts and in our minds what it is that God has done for each and every one of us, we will not be tempted to turn away from God and run to a life of sin that never ever delivers on its promises but only leaves you desperate and hopeless and without any kind of joy or peace in your life. There are people who run to sin as if somehow it's the next big thing. They run to things of the world and say, if I can just get a hold of this, I'm going to be satisfied. You see, the people of Israel had some serious problems. And for a long time, it had been brewing in their history. When they came out of, of Egypt, remember, it took 40 years 
for them to get out of a desert that should have only taken about 11 to 12 days to get through. Forty years they wandered. And when they came across into the land that God had given to them, they came across the Jordan River and God stopped up the Jordan. And the flow went one way, but it stopped here so that the people could walk through the Jordan on dry ground. In that moment, in Joshua chapter 4, records for us that at that moment, God told Joshua, I want you to appoint 12 men. One from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. And I want them to take a great stone out of the Jordan. And I want you to construct a memorial. This is not going to be an altar. Altars were often made of stones where they would sacrifice wherever they were. and A sacrifice to the Lord. This was not to be an altar of sacrifice. This was to be a stone memorial of the fact that God had brought them in to the promised land. That God had been faithful to his promises and oftentimes we fail to erect memorials in our lives we fail to pray we fail to go to the word of God and we find ourselves going headlong into a life of sin that brings destruction you see if we will remember what God has done and the significant thing about that memorial was God said, and, and he said to Joshua and said, tell this to the people. This memorial is constructed so that when you and your children pass by, your children look at that memorial and they say, what does it mean? Golden opportunity right there for you to share. What does it mean? What does it mean for us to come to church? This, brothers and sisters, is a memorial. You might not think it. Your habit of coming to church is a memorial. It is something that is built. And many times we look at that and we say, you know, kids say, well, why? Why do we go to church? The big question in our household now with our four-year-old is why? After every answer, why? 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 And my wife and I are just, you know, it gets to a point where we don't have an answer anymore. I mean, she just drills down, you know, to get the get the, to the real heart of the matter, and there are times we don't have an answer. But the memorial is being built, the habit that you have of coming to the house of the Lord, what does it mean? You need to explain what it means. You need to say, but we're here to remember what the Lord has done. When he brought us out of sin, we're here to remember what Jesus has done. In fact, Jesus said, do this. Right here in front of us, this communion table this morning as we partake of the elements here. To do this in what? Remembrance of me. God wants you to have a good memory because it's going to deter you and keep you from sin. If you will remember the expense that God has, has gone through to save you from sin, it will help and keep you out of rebellion. Listen to what the Bible says. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians over in the New Testament chapter 2 and verse 12. There is something else that God told the people to remember. Paul was admonishing the, the Ephesian Christians who were Gentile Christians. They were not Jews. They were Gentiles. They were and in fact, Paul is going to expound on that. Chapter 2 is all about that. It's about the fact that they were outside of the house of Israel. They were without hope uh, in, in the world. They, they had no hope whatsoever. And, God, and, and Paul wanted them to remember where it was that they came from. 
And that is so ever so important for us. Many times we get tempted in our Christianity by sin and we hang out on the brink because we forgot where we came from. We forgot the, the desperate situation that we were in. This is what the people of Israel were like when they came out of Egypt. It didn't take long for them to also, all, all of a sudden look back on their slavery and say, we were better off there. No, they weren't. At no time in their history were they ever better off. But listen to what Paul wants the people of Israel or people of the Ephesian church to remember. The Bible says, remember, in verse 12, Ephesians 2, Remember that at one time, or at that time, you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. Notice that Paul wants them to remember this. He says, I want you to remember how outside of Christ and outside of hope you were. But it goes on and we read some of the most wonderful words in the Bible. But now. When you get to the New Testament, you begin to read but now. A whole lot of something's going on. A whole lot of God is happening in the hearts and the lives of men and women. But now. You see, they were outside of any kind of hope. And God says, I want you to remember where it was that you came from. Sometimes all it takes for us not to be tempted by sin anymore is to remember where it was that we made the exit from the world. Think that the Israelites said, let's go back to Egypt. Oh, no, no, no. They really did not want to go back to Egypt. They were saying, let's go back into slavery. Let's go back into that place where we were abused. Let's go back into that place where, where Pharaoh had his way. The Egyptian people abused us and they hurt us. Let's go back there. No, no, God was not going to have any of that. He was, he was going to have to get the world out of them through their travels in the desert. And it took 40 years to do that. But they came into the promised land. And, and over and over and over again, you read in the Old Testament, and, and God reminds the people of Israel, I brought you out of Egypt. He wanted them to remember that event. The, the Jews to this day celebrate it through the Passover. They celebrate the Passover. It's one of the, the highest and holy days of, of, in all of Judaism, the Passover, because it has great significance. They came out of slavery. And for the Christian, this is the wonderful significance of the Passover is that the Passover lamb died on the cross for your sins. He was the perfect spotless lamb. Remember where you came from so you can see the great power of God in your life. A good memory deters you from sin. A good memory will keep you from going back into a life that held you bound and held you captive. Just because you look and you say, well, everybody else seems to be having fun now. Don't think for a minute that fun is worth losing out on heaven. Don't think for a minute that going into a life that back into a life of of the world is 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 worth losing out on heaven. It's not. It is not worth hell, brothers and sisters. I'm here to let you know you you and I have made the exit from sin. We've made an exit out of that old life. Don't go back to it. It deters you from sin. A good memory also detracts from Satan's lies. A good memory detracts from Satan's lies. 
The Bible says about Satan that he is a liar, right? He is a liar and the father of lies. There isn't anything else that he is. He is just a big, fat liar. That's all he is. Say, but what about all the Hollywood movies that make him out to be so intensely powerful? He is only powerful when somebody falls prey to his lies. You don't believe the lies of the enemy. We often get distracted by those lies when he comes around and he begins to tell us things that aren't true. Even when all we have to do is remember what God has done for us. All we have to do is go to the word of God and read the truth. This, brothers and sisters, this word, this Bible is the truth. All we have to do is go back to it and begin to read it. But many times we fall prey to the lies of the enemy because we don't go to the word of God. We have forgotten the word of God. We don't read the Bible like we ought to. And we don't get it into our spirits and get it into our hearts. So all of a sudden now the liar comes along and he begins to lie to us. There was a lie that was being told to the Hebrew Christians. In the New Testament, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32. If you were a Gentile and you became a Christian, you certainly could potentially suffer great persecution. Especially in an age where the worship of Caesar, the world was under Roman rule, the worship of Caesar was in fact what we would term as the state religion. Christians were certainly not individuals who would fall for that. They were individuals who would be persecuted by Caesar or some of the Caesars simply because they didn't bow to him as their God. They were monotheistic. They didn't believe in many gods or that Caesar was a god and the Caesar before him was a god. They, they didn't do that. But if you were a Hebrew Christian, if you were a Jew who came out of Judaism and you became a Christian, you were immediately persecuted. You were immediately cut off from your family. You were cut off if you were wealthy. You were cut off from your portion of that wealth. You were cut off from any kind of contact. You were not their children. You were not part of the family anymore. If you gave your life to Jesus Christ, you were put out and no longer to be part of your earthly family. These are the people that the writer of Hebrews is writing to. And many of them were encountered by the lie of the enemy that says, you know what, just go back. It's not worth it. To go through the kind of persecution you're going through, they would often have their goods confiscated, their material possessions, their earthly goods were taken away simply because they said, we believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. So what are you going to do? Well, there were those who were saying, you know, it's really, it's really not worth the effort to go through all of that. Why don't you just go back into Judaism? Close enough. You know, just, just go back. Why suffer all of this pain? Why go through all of that? The writer of Hebrews is going to write to them to help them to remember what things were like when they first came to Christ. Listen to what he says. Verse 32 of chapter 10. Remember 
those earlier days, after you had received the light, when you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering. He says, I want you to remember your determination. I want you to remember your commitment. In this moment that you're going through right now, I realize the persecution is becoming greater. It's becoming more difficult. It's something you, you might want to run from, and I'm sure there are people around you saying, just don't bother, man. It's too difficult. It's too hard. Just give in. Just renounce your faith. It's not worth it. But he says, I want you to remember the day where you came to Christ, and there was a fire that was lit in your spirit, and there was something on the inside of you that says I don't care what happens to me I don't care what people think of me I don't care how my neighbors think of me I don't care what my co-workers say about me but instead it's like a fire that shut up on the inside of me and I've got to stand my ground in the face of this great contest and I am not going to bow to the idols of the world I refuse to give in I remember what happened on that day when Jesus came busting into my heart as I opened my heart to him and there was something wonderful that took place on the inside of me and it lit a fire in me. Listen, brothers and sisters, I'm here to let you know a good memory will detract from Satan's lies. Satan says, give up. Don't bother. You know, don't you want to be popular? Don't you want people to like you? Don't you want that? And in our age of political correctness, where Christianity is the least tolerated religion in our country, don't you want to just, you know, be so that everybody will like you? I'm here to let you know. Do not give up. Remember those earlier days after you had received the light when you stood your ground in the great contest in a face in the face of suffering. Brothers and sisters, I am here to let you know the enemy cannot win if you will remember what God has done in your life. And you remember that moment where you came to Christ and something changed on the inside. So oftentimes we forget what it is that took place the day we gave our hearts to Jesus. And the great joy that overwhelmed our souls. The joy unspeakable. And this is one of the things, one of the great challenges that many of us face as we grow up in the church, as our children grow up in the church. Some of you, maybe you didn't grow up in the church and you have had a dramatic experience with Christ, but now you're raising children that have grown up under, under preaching. They've grown up under you know, prayer meetings and, and all of the, the things that begin to happen and all of, all of what takes place in church. And so oftentimes there's no moment that defining moment in their own hearts. We have to pray, Lord, let there be a defining moment in my child's life that would cause them to recognize that's the day I gave my heart to Jesus. That's the day Jesus came into my life and he changed me. Something took place on the inside. We've got to pray, Lord, let that come in their hearts and in their spirits for themselves. The Hebrew Christians were facing this grave danger. And yet the danger wasn't persecution. The danger was that of forsaking the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't be tempted by the lies of the enemy. Don't allow the enemy to come along and, and say, you know what, you should just give up. Because you know what, the world is having so much more fun. The world is out there and, you know, they're, they're all happy. 
You know, they didn't lose their jobs. They didn't, they didn't have job cutbacks and this, you know, why is it that it seems like, you know, you look around and, and the world is prospering and, and those who are believers, it seems like everything is pushed down and it's cut back and it's all of this and all of that. I'm here to let you know that's superficial stuff. In the end, all of that is going to burn anyway. You can't look at that and say, that's what's lasting. You say, well, it'll make life easier. Yes, it might. In the moment, it might. But in the end, I'm here to let you know, it's not that the one with the most toys in the end wins it is the one who has come to christ and given their all to him they are the winners a good memory detracts from the lies of the enemy the writer exposes this lie the lie that they should just give up and i'm i'm here to let you know from time to time that lie comes surging into my heart you know what just give up just give up, not just, not just on, on ministry, but just, just give up. I said, Pastor, you're suicidal. No, I'm not. <laughs> not that kind of give up. I want to live. I like breathing. I enjoy life. I, I, I love my wife. I love my children. I love all of these things. But, but in the end, you know, from time to time, the enemy comes. It's like the psalmist who said, you know, look out in the world. The world seems to have it all going on and everything is fine. And here I am. I'm suffering for the gospel. What's the big deal about that? And in the end, the Bible says when he went into the sanctuary of the Lord, he understood not his end, their end. And their end, brothers and sisters, looks a lot more grim than your end does. There is one final thing that a good memory will do. A good memory determines future sight. A good memory determines future sight. When we really begin to remember what God has done for us, we will have the vision to keep going on in the future. You know, we've got a little cliche that we throw around in the church, but I believe it's true. Keep on keeping on. Just keep moving forward. Keep going forward. And in fact, that really is essentially one of the basic messages of the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews is you've got to keep progressing. You've got to keep moving forward in Christ. Don't look back. Don't go back. And don't even think that you can stand still and coast. This is one of the great dangers of Christianity and, and of, our, of our, the way, you know, after we've been saved for a number of years, all of a sudden we begin to think that we can just sort of coast. You know, we can just stand still. We don't have to do much. We don't have to give much. We just show up for church, raise our hands, clap our hands, sing the songs, you know, say amen real loud every now and then, and we go home and that's it. But you know what? It's, there's more to it than that. We have got to keep moving forward. And in fact, when we begin to remember what it is that God has done for each and every one of us in our lives, we will want to move forward. We'll want to make progress. We don't want to lay down in the dirt and just die and somehow sit there and have pity parties for ourselves. We want to keep moving ahead and keep moving forward and don't give up. It requires that we begin to say, Lord, you did something for me so that I could have a future, so that I could have a hope. And in fact, that's what the prophet Jeremiah prophesied to the people. He says, I've got, I've got plans for you, plans for, to give you a hope and a future, not to harm you, 
not to hurt you. God is not here today to hurt anybody. God is not trying to, to destroy anybody. He is here. He is for you. He is not against you. He's with you. He wants to encourage you, to help you, to keep moving forward in him. And so often even the world begins to think, you know, God's out to get us. No, God is out to, to show you how much he loves you, how much he cares for you. But we've got to keep moving ahead. We've got to keep moving forward. God doesn't perform miracles, brothers and sisters, for nothing. We look back on the history of the church and what it is that God has done. There are so many things that God has done and taken. He has done in people's lives. Some people who aren't even here now. But things that he did for them. Things that took place in their lives. Great and wonderful and mighty things that only God could do. We've got to begin to remember what it is that God has done for us so we will keep moving forward in him. We'll keep moving ahead in him. And listen, he didn't do it just so that he could say, well, that's it. I'm done. There is an area of theology and an area of belief that says God performed miracles only in the book of Acts. And once the book of Acts came to a close, he was done. You know what? I'm tired of that defeatist theology. I'm tired of that kind of a mindset that says, you know, it was only good for then. No, folks, then where are we now? What can we believe for now? We've got to believe for great and mighty things. God did not stop acting and moving among man when the book of Acts came to a close. That, brothers and sisters, was just the beginning. And he's doing great things. And he'll continue to do great things. And so we've got to keep moving ahead and moving forward in him. Listen, even if God doesn't do it the same way today that he did yesterday, don't somehow think that he's abandoned you. God, you know, God knows what he's doing. He doesn't have to repeat himself. He doesn't have to, you know, somehow, well, I did that yesterday, so that's what i got to do today. No, God, God has got a variety. And he is going to do different things in your lives. He's going to show up in different ways. God proved that to the prophet Elijah. Remember, God came down in the fire up on Mount Carmel. The battle between the prophets of Baal and Elijah. He showed up by fire. But when Elijah got discouraged and he began to run from a queen who said, I'm going to kill you. You're mine. All of a sudden, Elijah said, Ooh, I'm out of here, folks. He just made fun of 400 and some odd prophets. He, brought, he prayed and brought fire down from heaven, goes out and prays on the mountain because there had been a drought for three years. There was no food. People were starving. He goes out and he prays, sends out his, his servant. The servant comes back and says, I don't see a cloud in the sky. Prays some more, sends about again. I don't see a cloud in the sky. Prays some more, sends about again. The guy comes back and says, you know, I see... A cloud about the size, you know, you put it up about the size of a man's hand. One tiny little cloud. Elijah said, run. You better get to shelter because there's rain coming. And after all of that, Elijah is out running. And God takes him to a cave. And there God shakes the mountain in an earthquake. There God begins to, to blow a wind through. And, and all of these experiences that he has, he says, Elijah, I'm not in all that. But I'm here in a whisper, in a still small voice. It wasn't the fire again. It was a whisper. It was a different way. God is a God of variety. We've got to keep moving forward even though we don't see it the same as what we saw it yesterday or 10 years ago or 5 years ago. We have got to say, Lord, I am going to keep moving forward and moving ahead in you. Listen to what David says. 
Psalm 45 and verse 17. This is ever so important. This goes hand in hand. We didn't actually turn there. I, my original thought and intention was to just preach solely out of Joshua chapter 4. I might get there in the future. But it goes hand in hand with the idea of a memorial. And, and being able to, to present to the generations after us what it is that God has done. But listen to what David says. Psalm 45 and verse 17. I will perpetuate your memory through all generations. Do you see that? I will perpetuate. Not, Lord, I'm depending on you to just reveal yourself somehow magically, mystically in the world, somehow speak audibly the way that you used to in the Old Testament. I'm, I, I'm, no, he says, Lord, I'm going to perpetuate your memory through all generations. Therefore, the nations will praise you forever and ever. Brothers and sisters, if this is not a vision of the future, I don't know what is. What do we read about in the book of Revelation? That great number of people that have gathered together of every tribe and every nation under the sun, everybody gathered together, praising the name of the Lord forever. Here David has a vision of the future because he says, I'm going to do my part to perpetuate your memory, Lord. Psalm 105 and verse 5 says this, he admonishes us. The Bible says this, remember 105, Psalm 105, verse 5. Remember the wonders he has done, his miracles, and the judgments he pronounced. Remember the wonders he has done, his miracles, and the judgments. That is his word that he has pronounced. Isaiah 64 and verse 5. Go to Isaiah 64 and verse 5. The Bible says this. Isaiah 64 and verse 5. You come to help those, help, come to the help of those who gladly do right, who remember your ways. But when we continued to sin against them, you were angry. How then? Can we be saved? Notice the first part of this verse. You come to the help of those who gladly do right. What is that talking about? That is talking about in the present and in the future. Those who remember your ways, there is a blessing that will come. And that blessing is in the form of God showing up to help you. That he will be there to encourage you. He'll be there to give you his word. He'll be there to lift you up. He'll be there to help you no matter what you're going through. Remember his ways. So, well, I, I remember my failings. No, God doesn't want you to remember your failings. God is not interested in you dwelling on how, how bad you were. It seems like what God really wanted the people of Israel to remember, most of all, was how he brought them out of Egypt. Egypt for us is a type of sin and slavery to sin. He wanted them to remember how he brought them out. He wants you to remember today how he brought you out. But he also wants you to remember in all of those things the fact that if he did those things for you, he will show up for you now and in the future. Tomorrow when you wake up and it seems like all hell has broken loose, you need to know that God is going to show up on your behalf. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. He will always, always be there. Remember his 
ways. Even, as I mentioned earlier, communion is to stir up our minds to remember what Jesus Christ has done for us. That he did great things. He did things that you couldn't do for yourself. He accomplished things on the cross that people today through all their programs, all their efforts, all their ideas, they're trying to accomplish. But when he died on the cross for your sins, he took your place. You don't have to do it anymore. You don't have, first of all, to die for your sins because of what Jesus has done for you. Not only that, but the fact is this. Not only do you not have to die for your sins, but the fact that he took your place lets you know that you can have life and have it more abundantly. This is a reminder, this moment is a reminder for all of us who have come to the place where we recognize we need a Savior. You know, it would be great if there could be somebody who could stand and say, well, I was born perfect. But there isn't anybody. None of us are perfect. None of us come to this table and suggest, even suggest the idea that we've got it all together because we don't. Look, as many times as pastors are sort of elevated a little bit, put on some kind of a pedestal, it's a dangerous place. But pastors are not perfect. People are not perfect. Christians are not perfect. But what this table reminds us of is this, that he took our imperfections and he nailed them to the cross. That he took our sins, not just imperfections, our sins, and nailed them to the cross. That today you don't have to walk in sin. You can be deterred from sin. There's nothing in the Bible that suggests that you and I have to sin. Nothing. Instead, the Bible says that if we do, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. I want us just to bow our heads and close our eyes, and I want the ushers to come forward right now. I would like the musicians just to come. I'd like you to play that chorus Breathe on me, the one that you were playing earlier, singing earlier. But as we bow our heads and just for a moment close our eyes, you say, how is it that I can take communion? What are the requirements for communion in this church? Do I need to be a member of this church? No, you don't. In fact, this is not about a membership in a local assembly. This is about a membership in a greater assembly, the body of Christ. If you have given your heart to Jesus Christ, so Jesus, I am a sinner. Confess your sins. I am a sinner, and I need you as my Savior. Today, I ask you to come into my heart. If you have had a moment like that in your life, you are absolutely eligible and welcome to receive communion. If you have yet to come to that place in your life, or maybe it is that you know today that even though you at one point prayed a prayer of salvation, 
But today you know you're far from God. You know that you're walking your own path. God is nowhere to be found in your life. Then today I would encourage you either in this moment right now while we pray, make it right with God and partake of communion or simply don't take communion. Why? It's very simple. Paul outlines it this way. He says this in 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 27. He says, Therefore, whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we had judged ourselves, we would not come under judgment. When we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. I encourage you in this moment, we're going to examine our hearts before the ushers take these elements and they pass them through the rows and they pass them to you. I encourage you, let's examine our hearts even now. Heavenly Father, we pray that in this moment, you would search our hearts. Lord, as the psalmist wrote, search my heart, O God. See if there be any wicked way in me. And Lord, cleanse us. Cleanse us of every unrighteousness, everything that has been against you. Lord, today, if maybe there are some in this building who have yet to give their hearts to Christ, and yet in this moment they have decided, I need Jesus. I need the kind of a God who is always with me, that I can remember his great and wonderful things. Lord, I pray that even in this moment they would pray a prayer of faith and a prayer of repentance, repenting of their sin and giving their hearts to you. Lord, in this moment, examine our hearts. Lord, so that we can eat and we can drink in a worthy worthy manner, partaking of what it is that you have done for us. Lord, we thank you for all that you did for us. And we are going to do this today in remembrance of you in the wonderful name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Jesus made it very clear what it is that we're doing right now as we take communion together in a moment. Paul reiterated what Jesus said earlier Bible says this in 1 Corinthians 11, verses 23 through 26. It says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We do it in remembrance of him. And yet at the same time, it is also to proclaim his death on the cross. For without it, we're lost. But with it, we have hope. With it, 
we are able to live a life that is pleasing to him. Let's just bow our hearts for a moment. Father, we thank you for this moment together as a body of believers. We thank you, Lord, that you don't exempt us based on a church or based on anything other than the fact are we washed in the blood of the Lamb. Lord, I thank you today for your grace and for your mercy, O God. We ask in the name of Jesus that even now you would help each and every one of us to understand and to comprehend the great significance of what it is that is being done right now. That, Lord, when we take the bread and the cup together, we are all part of one great body of believers. And, Lord, I ask in the name of Jesus that even now in this moment that you would help us to be so grateful and thankful, Lord, of all that you have done for each and every one of us, we give you all the praise in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said together, amen. Let's take both the bread and the cup together.